0: Have you thought
1: this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll like, never make any money doing that. How are you going to get the mortgage? Just get a job. Are you going to try to that? Why can't you be normal like anybody else? All right. Will your parents' morons, too? The savvy entrepreneur to the rescue! Congratulations. That really turned out well. No, I wish I thought of that. I never thought of you. How did you do that? I'm so glad you're here to your I wish I had the courage to call my train. Hello out there. Welcome to the savvy entrepreneur. We're broadcasting here on WLCB one oh one point five FM from the Greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. I'm your host, Doris Nagel, and I'm a crazy entrepreneur myself. I also love helping other entrepreneurs. I've counseled lots of startups and small businesses as part of my law and consulting practice over the past 30 years. Not only that, I've started or helped start at least nine different businesses. I've not only seen a lot of mistakes, but I've made a lot of mistakes. So our show here really has two goals. One, to share helpful information and resources. And second, to inspire entrepreneurs hopefully make your journey as an entrepreneur faster and easier, maybe just a little bit more fun. As always, I welcome your comments, questions, suggestions. If you want to be a guest or know someone who'd be a great guest, or just to share a resource you found, email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at lakes, lakes plural, lakesradio.org. And so without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest for today. Lil Roberts, who joins us by phone all the way from Florida. She is the CEO and founder of a company called Zendu, which specializes in online bookkeeping and accounting, which is focused on small business owners with less than 20 employees. So lots of you listeners out there. According to Lil, Zendu leverages technology and proprietary software to increase the productivity and traditional workforce of small companies by some 500%. Zendu has received a number of awards, including most recently South Florida Business Journal's 2020 H. Wayne Heisinger Startup Award, as well as numerous other awards for startups and small businesses. Now, just a couple of words about Lil herself. She's a South Florida native and prides herself on building customer-centric companies built on teamwork, technology, and integrity. She's a serial entrepreneur with a passion for small business and is known as an innovator with the enviable ability to foresee market trends. She successfully exited from the manufacturing industry, after which she founded Zendu, a cloud-based fintech company, and it's based in Fort Lauderdale. One other item of of note, she appeared on the premiere episode of CNBC's The Job Interview. She's an active member of the South Florida chapter of the Global Entrepreneurs Organization. She calls herself a lifelong learner and fosters a professional working environment where people have the opportunity to continuously grow and develop. Sounds like a fun place to work, Lil. Can't wait to hear more about it. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur.
0: Thank you, Doris, and great honor and pleasure to be here with you tonight. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you.
1: You know, I think the best place to start is really for listeners to hear a little bit more about your background in your company. So your Biden says you left the manufacturing industry. I assume that was more uh, bigger companies.
0: But how did you go from that to deciding to found Zendu? Thanks, Doris. You know, like yourself, I've had uh, eight or nine businesses, and they've all been in different industries. So the last time I worked for somebody was in the uh, early 80s. And as they say about entrepreneurs, right, that we're unemployable. Um, We see the world through different eyes. So I'm sure all your listeners out there relate to that, that, you know, we we walk in places and, and we see a problem. We want to solve the problem. We probably all were, uh, those of us that are old enough, were took apart our alarm clocks and to put them back together just to see how they ticked, right? But, I, you know, I've done uh, product businesses. I've done system integration businesses. And then I went into the manufacturing space. And I just love business. I love small business. So I sold my last company in 2015. And it was in an industry. It was in print manufacturing. And it was an industry that, you know, I I watched really become a commodity industry and do a race to the bottom as to what's the lowest price. And I watched technology just basically decimate the industry. And I was able to get a successful exit by reengineering the business over and over and over again because there's always customers for your business, it's a matter of how you engineer the company and what solution you're providing, and then is it a big pond to customers or a smaller pond to customers, and and it's figuring all that out, right? As as technology changes all of our industries. So when I exited that business, I said. You know, what do I want to do next? What's the next business that I want to do? And I just love small business. I'm like you. I just love it. I bleed small business. And I think that all of us small business owners out there, you know, we're the backbone of America. Right. We employ collectively the largest group of people. And when I say small business, I'm talking about, you know, small business can be defined as uh, 50 million in size and smaller. And I think a small business really as the 15 million down to 100, 200,000 a year in gross revenue. And I knew that there was a gap for a problem being solved for small business owners of having accurate and timely financials delivered to you for a fair price. And so I wanted to be part of reshaping an industry with technology by bringing transparency to it, by bringing accessibility to it for small business owners and by doing that through a technology platform.
1: Well, there's no question about it that as companies get started, they need lots of different kinds of help for sure. And certainly tax advice, accounting, bookkeeping, finance, the whole gamut of things financial are certainly something that a lot of entrepreneurs either don't know enough about to do themselves or know enough to maybe be a little dangerous, or in some cases, maybe they do know about it, but it's not really
0: the best and best use of their time, right? 100%. And it's not the sexy thing, right? You know, in in a business, the fun part of the business is the part where, you know, you're delivering a product or building a product or taking care of the customer. And that's where, you know, we all as business owners and entrepreneurs tend to spend our time. And the financials really are are the part of the business that always gets put to the back burner. And a big reason is because when you're doing monthly financials, your monthly financials are the look back. It's the scorecard of how you did, right? And right. The people are always you know, forging forward. And you really need to take a look at what your financials were for the last month so you can tweak and see how you can do better next month and see what your business needs. Yeah. So what makes Sendu and your services unique?
1: Is it the model, the pricing model, or the online platform or some combination of that or something else?
0: I think it's a lot of little things. Um, At the high level, we are, what we feel is that we are bringing the transparency and the accessibility to the small business owner through putting a, a flat rate price, right, for the package. So you have full visibility on what you're getting and we deliver with accountability, no pun intended. So yes. we deliver our financials by the fifth business day of the next month, which is unheard of and really unprecedented in the industry. And so even our online competitors, they deliver by the fifteenth. And it's through our proprietary software and our workflow processes that for 65% of our customers, we deliver it by the fifth business day. But right. if you say if you take and say, what is the what I feel is the, the unique ingredient that we do, we're a customer obsessed for our customers. And in an industry when oftentimes customers are overlooked and underserved. So traditionally in the accounting industry, customer service is not what you think of when you think of the accounting industry. And we're leading with customer service, financial peace of mind. And we do that through technology, of course. But really what we deliver is the financial peace of mind.
1: The other thing that I think is kind of interesting is that I've worked with a number of startup businesses And a lot of them acknowledge they need maybe a part time bookkeeper. And usually what they look for is maybe a a stay at home mom who was a CPA or an accountant. Uh, Maybe it's a retired person. Maybe it's somebody who has this as their business model and they work with a handful of companies. The challenge that I see is is really twofold with that. And I have a feeling you're going to agree with me. One is, is that it's difficult with that model to scale as the business hopefully grows. And the second is, is that it's often difficult to be proactive in identifying issues. Because I, I think a lot of those folks seem to to view their job as more clerical. You know, if, if you look at everything from the gamut of, yes, there's data entry and forms to be filled out, but there's really a role almost for, you know, a CFO kind of position, maybe not full-time, that I think takes on a much more strategic, much more proactive role. And I'm guessing, although I don't I don't know that your business may be able to help fill a couple of those gaps there.
0: Yeah, so you're right. Like, we don't do the fractional CFO on the go forward, right? we're doing the monthly financials, the profit and loss balance sheet, and then the tax return all for a flat rate price. But you, you hit it on the head that people will go out and they'll find a retired CPA or a work-at-home mom that maybe went through or a work-at-home dad or just somebody who does bookkeeping. And typically mm-hmm. they're going to pay a minimum of $40 an hour and they're going to pay a few hours a week and it's going to be, you know, call it five, $600 a month. And what they're missing out on is that they're missing out on having the CPA tax advice and strategy throughout the planning and maximizing their tax savings. If somebody's just doing bookkeeping and not doing it through a tax saving lens, then they're going to leave money on the table. And also how they can use money that that may be spent towards taxes and use that to invest in the business. So there's a lot of opportunities there. But you know, the bigger picture is that there's so many business owners that don't do any of it. They just don't even you know, do their books um, until they think about their books in March when they want to do their taxes, and and that's when they leave a lot of money on the table. Interesting. How has your business grown and changed since it started? Well, we started in late 2017, and so we we doubled this year. You know, with the pandemic, we're up 30% this year. But we're a VC-backed company, and so we're venture-backed. Uh, we have the founder of AOL that uh, is an investor in our company, as well as Jason Calacanis, who was a early investor in Uber and Calm and Robinhood and, and also Deep Work out of Florida, um, a great VC company. So, you know, our job is to scale and grow. My personal goal is we want to scale to 15,000 customers. That's one 5,000 customers across America. We have customers in 45 of the 50 states. But you know, but the real my real goal here is yes, we want to have 15,000 customers. But every business owner that comes our way, Doris, we want to help them, whether they're a fit for us or not. If they happen to stop by us on their journey, uh, we want to make sure that we help them in any way that we can, which could be just a referral of some kind of technology that they may need for their business, or just some information that they need. Interesting.
1: You you made a point that I.
0: I want to expand on just a little bit,
1: which is you said whether they're a fit for us or not. So what kind of businesses are a good fit for these kinds of services and which ones
0: might not be? Uh, Yeah, well, thank you for asking. The top two uh, groups of customers that we have are e-commerce businesses, because a lot of traditional accounting companies you know, aren't as familiar with how the e-commerce businesses function and all the tech stacks that they have in there as far as integrations and then also professional services, which covers a wide gambit. But we have businesses, we have the the craziest businesses across America. I just love it. It is so amazing. You know, I can share with you, we have a guy who buys books by the by the truckload, by the semi. And he sells them on Amazon. He takes the books that he thinks will sell, you know, from libraries or estate sales, ah, and he sells them on Amazon. So you um, wonder
1: where those used options come from when you look at a book and it says, <laughs> "Other options available, used."
0: Right? It's amazing. It's amazing. We have we have uh, a couple of different TV shows that are customers. We have a, a car broker that sets up the shoots for any kind of car that's needed on a movie set. And so, you know, and then we have all your standard everyday businesses, right? Like cleaning companies and pool services and HVAC and and, you know, you name it. We have it Uh, gyms. We have a lot of gyms and, you know, some hospitality. So it's across the board. But I mean, we we love it. It's uh, it's amazing to see how the entrepreneurs of the United States build and find businesses. It's truly fascinating. When when might they not be a good fit? So a law firm that's doing escrows or trusts that wouldn't be a fit for us. Uh, somebody who wants us to pay their bills, which I don't recommend small businesses outsourcing paying their bills. I see way too many business owners that have embezzled, have been embezzled, right? So uh, companies that want us to chase receivables, although we have a technology solution with one of our partners. That for people that want to improve their receivables, that is an automated way that just reminds customers to pay and it actually works. So we don't chase receivables. We don't pay bills. And if they have, you know, if they're a construction company doing job costing per job, then they're not a fit for us. But if they're a construction company or a real estate investor that's buying and flipping, they're a fit for us. So just about any business with less than 20 employees are a fit. So have you, I guess the answer is probably yes,
1: but you must have had businesses who probably graduated from your services,
0: too. Yeah, we do. From time to time, we do. You know, typically when they get past 15 million in top line revenue, then they're going to have their own independent like 15 million on the e-com because 15 million on e-commerce, you may only have eight or 10 employees. But businesses reach, you know, in the cycle of business, they reach a point where they bring everything in-house. But we've yeah. had many of businesses that have reached that point where they bring certain things in-house, but they still want us to take a look at the books. It's that second set of eyes. It's making sure that everything's in proper order. It's a, it's a checks and balance system for them. And then also they need their taxes done. So even if they bring it in-house, they still need somebody to take care of their taxes.
1: Yeah, it's a great model because I'm sure
0: there are businesses who have been with you for quite a long time. Yes, we've been really it's it's uh, it's wonderful, you know, especially during the pandemic. There's a lot of, you know, very hard stories. We've been really blessed that the majority of our customers have navigated the waters of the pandemic. They have stayed in business. They have found ways to re-engineer their business to have greater profitability and to adapt and adopt what they need to during this time. So, you know, the resilience of small business, the um, heartbeat of it, to watch business owners in action is just amazing to be part of their journey. It's truly an honor. Well, they're certainly a
1: very nimble lot. Having worked in large corporate America with uh, capital C, capital A, where I always said it was like trying to row the Titanic in a different direction. It's certainly fun to watch small businesses who are way more nimble than big companies in most
0: cases. So true. So true. A lot of event companies have, you know, they they pivoted and they've become logistics companies and they've, you know, moved into PPE and, you know, you, you find a way, right? That That's what, that's what the entrepreneurial world is. And I mean, your listeners all know too well, you know, there's probably many of them that are listening right now that it's resonating with them. They had to do what they needed to do to survive. And when you are, you know, I always say be water, right? If you can right. be water, water finds a way. And, yeah. uh, and that's it. You just got to stay moving.
1: Yep. I'm just thinking about uh, one of my Clients who I spoke with a couple days ago and it's a floral shop. Things have been a little slow for the flower business, although there have been sadly more than our share of funerals. There just haven't been big weddings and big corporate gatherings and other kinds of, uh, you know, debutante balls and proms and you name it. And so she's branched out into candles and gourmet food and chocolates. And it, as a result, has been partnering with other local companies. And, you know, I kudos to her. You know, she yeah. just she just saw the writing on the wall and decided to do something about it. Will this be successful? Who knows? But I'm guessing even if it's not, she'll probably
0: think of some other options. Kudos to her, right? Oh, totally. Good for her. You know, and, and that's that's what it is. It's that we all have that that, you know, outlook that the glass is overflowing. And at the core of it, it doesn't matter what business you're in. We're all the same. Right. All business owners. They're all positive people wanting to do something that is great for customers and, and take care of their family, take care of their their work family. And it's uh it's a beautiful thing. Yep, it is. It's cool. Well, let's switch gears here.
1: I know today we wanted to focus on a specific topic. There were lots of things I know that, uh, Lil, I wish you didn't live in Florida because I sure would enjoy sitting down regularly with a cup of coffee. I think I would be better informed and 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 a better entrepreneur if that could happen. But oh, thank you, thank you. But for today. I know we wanted to focus on a specific topic, which is cash flow versus profitability, which doesn't probably sound all that sexy, but it's a topic I know you're passionate about. And I'm sure that you're passionate about for a reason. So first, let's just make sure everybody who's listening understands the concepts.
0: What is cash flow and what is profitability? Yes, and then I'll share with you why I'm so passionate about it, it, and I think you'll feel the same. So cash flow, you know, it represents the cash coming in and out in the business, right? So when you have cash flow coming in, it means that there's money there, there's money for you to pay your bills at that moment, right? But it doesn't tell you if the company is profitable. Profitability is the understanding of knowing, are you making a profit on what you're doing? So does the excess money after you pay the expenses, your fixed expenses and your variable expenses, is there money there aside and different from cash flow? And we'll get into it a little bit more. But if you like, I'll share with you why I'm so passionate about it.
1: Well, first I want to make sure, as part of the definitions, and I definitely want to want to hear why you're passionate about it. And I know our listeners do too. I'm no accountant, but I know there are different definitions of profit. There's gross profit and there's net profit and there's profit after taxes. So when you talk about profitability today, which measure of profitability are you focusing on and why? Net
0: profit. Net profit before before you take out for depreciation, amortization. What is your, you know, take a look at your top line. Let's say, you know, you do $100,000 in sales and your expenses, your cost of goods were $20,000 and your fixed expenses and payroll was 70. So that equals $90,000. So now you have a net profit of 10 grand, 10% before you now pay tax, right? And a business has to be profitable. You know, cash, cash is the oxygen, but you got to have, you have to be healthy too. So for business, doesn't have profit. So if it's a business model, that's not based on earning a profit, then cash is just the oxygen you're living on an oxygen tank. And when the oxygen tank runs out, for whatever reason, you know, you're not going to breathe. You have to have a healthy, healthy physical engine running, right? Or you have to be healthy as a human. And then oxygen, you know, feeds you, right? Right. And, and then we can get into some instances where people have cash flow, but they're not profitable, or where they're very profitable, but they're starving for cash. Yeah,
1: and so I think that segues to why you're passionate about this, because I have a feeling you've got some great stories to share.
0: Yeah, thank you. Well, you know, at a high level, there is a statistic that is out there from U.S. Bank that is staggering and very sad to me, and it's something that we want to be part of changing. And so the statistic is from U.S. Bank is that 92% of businesses, of small businesses, less than 20 employees, they run their business from their bank account. Now, of those 92% of small businesses that run business from their bank account, it means that they don't do monthly financials or any financials to take a look at the financial health of their business. Of the businesses that fail, whatever percent that is, and in small business, 30% of small businesses fail every year for just getting up and and living. They go out of business, they sell their business, they close their business, all kinds of reasons. Um, And this year, unfortunately, it'll be much greater than that. And of the 30% of small businesses that just fail, 2.5% a month, no matter what, of that 30%, 82% that fail were actually profitable. They ran out of cash and they didn't have the visibility to know that they were so close and that their business was actually profitable. Wow. And
1: that that's yeah. heartbreaking. Well, and I'm guessing that just operating from your bank account is different than optimal cash flow management, right? 100%. Conceptually, it's also kind of far from just, hey, do I have money in my account today to pay my employees? Yes, I do. Oh, good.
0: <laughs> yeah. <paying> <laughs> yeah. Look, technology is, is a blessing and a curse. And because of technology, people have online banking. They can see what's in their bank. They have apps that show them the revenue, but don't show them their fixed expenses or don't show them the bills that are up and coming. And so you see, you know, one side of the story and that's never great, right? And and all of this is not things that small business owners want to think about. So what I like to say to to small business owners is that you have to understand your profitability first, right? You have to understand your business model. And and you don't have to do a fancy spreadsheet or anything like that. You know, one of my favorite things is back of the napkin. You know, when I was (laughs) vetting out this business model, um, I did a lot of back of the napkin because – you can do a, a big spreadsheet and there can be errors or, you know, formula errors in a spreadsheet. And and then now you're looking at something that you think is one way, but not the other, right? So, or worse, you just don't do it because it sounds daunting, right? 100%, 100%. So if we could, so if there's a couple of nuggets that the wonderful business owners listening to you tonight and to us that could walk away with, let's break it down into a couple of things. I hate to do this to you. We have to take a break for station identification
1: and a word from a few of our sponsors. So hold your breaths, everybody. Lil will be right back and share those nuggets. This is Doris Nagel, and you're listening to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. Before the break, we were talking with our guest this week, Lil Roberts, who's the founder and CEO of a company, a bookkeeping and accounting software company called Zendu. And she was sharing with us the difference between cash flow and profitability. Just before the break, she was about to impart a couple of golden nuggets. So those of you who have been waiting patiently
0: since our station break, Lil, it's time. Awesome. Thanks, Doris. Well, let's start with the back of the napkin exercise that all small business owners can do. Right. So we all need to know what are our fixed expenses. So fixed expenses are things that, you know, if you don't unlock the door and get $1 worth of business for the month that you're going to have to pay for regardless, right? That is your rent, it's insurance, it's phones, it's any of the other things that are, it's labor for your team. So all of those. So, So it's important to know how much money do you need that is just for your fixed expenses. And then you have to look at your variable and your variable are going to be, you know, if you buy your product for $100 and you want to make a 30% profit on it, this is the area that I see over and over and over again that small business owners miss when they're figuring out the pricing. So if you buy a product for $100 and you want to make 30% profit, most people the answer will be, what do you think the, their answer will be? It'll be $130. Most people will say that if I want to make 30% profit on a $100 product that I bought wholesale.
1: Oh, yeah, because you
0: haven't covered your fixed and variable expenses, really. Well, even greater than that. It, either, even greater than that. It, it, they're, doing the, they're doing the opposite. When you take what your cost is, you have to use a factor. And the factor is 1.44 or 1.41, I'll have to grab my calculator here, for a 30% profit. So the easy way, and people listening at home can grab their smartphones, and they can say, okay, $130 times .70 equals $91. It means you shorted yourself. You would have had, in order for a 30% profit at $130, you would have had to pay for the goods $91 to get a 30% profit. Did you just do that on your cal- on your calculator as well, Doris? Yeah. And if there's one nugget to give everyone, it's take a look because if that's how you're pricing your goods, you're leaving money on the table. You have to to get to what's the 30% profit, right? If you take $100 times 1.44 and Office Depot sells these wheels, right? So if you take times 0.70 for 70% cost, it equals $100.80, and that gives you a 30% profit. So it starts right there at the core. If you're figuring profit, you know, we're taught in school, oh, what's, you know, what's 30% on $100? Oh, that's $30, so, you know, 30% off, so if I pay 70 for something, it, it's wrong when you're selling a good. So for all the product businesses listening to you and listening to us right now, take a look at how you're marking your products up. If you're not marking it up with a factor, so 1.44 equals 30%, and there's these, these uh, margin wheels that you can buy online or you can buy at Office Depot or any, any office supply store to figure out. Because what if you want a 25% profit? I think that's 1.36 or 1.31. But you're leaving money on the table. And so right there, it's about understanding your profitability and your business. So one, what do you need to sell your your products for to make a profit? And profit equals after you pay for the goods of the profit and you cover the overhead. Now, here's where it gets tricky. If your fixed expenses for the month are $10,000, how do you factor that? You have to that now make some projections. How much do I need to sell before I start making my profitability. How much so so in order to cover ten thousand dollars, if I sell a hundred thousand, ten percent off the top is going for my fixed expenses. Right. So it's about understanding all of these different pieces. So now if you in the same space instead of selling a hundred thousand dollars, if you sell two hundred thousand dollars, now ten percent your fixed expenses equal five percent. So you have to understand what percentage of each sale has to go to first, what do you think you can sell in a month? Then, what percentage of each sale has to go to your fixed overhead? And what percentage is your variable, which is the cost of your product? So, before you put everything on sale to increase your cash flow, so now here's where cash flow comes in where you can have cash flow and not have profitability. If you start just trying to liquidate all your inventory, sure, you're going to get a bundle of money in the bank, but that bundle of money in the bank is not necessarily going to allow you to buy more goods. All you're doing is just kind of being a, tr- a hamster on a treadmill if you don't understand the relationship between your fixed expenses, your variable costs, and what is true profit before tax. You know,
1: it's interesting. I have worked with a number of small businesses in the manufacturing space who have done some really what I would call lowball deals and they do them, they claim for overhead absorption. So is that a good idea to do or not? Or
0: it, when might it be or when might not it be? Yeah, great question. So it's the old saying is when you can cover your nut, right? And your nut is what is the amount of money you need to have to cover your expenses? So if you know you're going to sell $100,000, and twenty thousand is going to be cost of goods, and seventy thousand is fixed expenses and, and payroll. So a hundred thousand is going to give you ten grand in profit. Well, now if you picked up this great opportunity of another twenty thousand dollars in inventory that you just want to liquidate because it's the season, you don't need to hold as much of a profit margin on it because you've already covered your nut. You've that first hundred grand already covered your expenses and your cost of goods, right? And so Mm -hmm. you know you already got 10 grand in profit, so now this next 20 that you sell is just incremental margin. Which is a good thing. It's a great thing, but if you're running your whole business on that model and you haven't covered your nut, that's the recipe for going out of business.
1: (laughs) That reminds reminds me of my father going to shop at the Aldi chain. I don't know if you have those in Florida. It's a bargain-based grocery chain with a family of six. And, but he, he was so enamored with the deal that he would fill up his shopping cart with stuff that we never,
0: never ate. So. Oh my God. You know what? Don't get me started. Don't get me started, Doris, because I got to tell you.
1: Yeah. You're going broke, spending all this
0: money on cheap stuff
1: that you didn't want. I mean, it's that kind of mentality, right? It's
0: the, it's the BOGOs. So you know, just was having this conversation with some friends two weeks ago. The Bogos are designed for people to buy stuff they don't need, and it's it's incremental margin for those companies. You're 100% right. And but people don't understand is that the the most valuable thing you have is money in your pocket, right? Well, aside from of course a good heart, and all the all the altruistic side, the most valuable thing in a business sense. Cash is king. Money in your pocket, but it's also in your personal life. So the idea of the merchants are they want to get money out of your pocket. Same thing with credit card companies, right, with all these different products of, oh, you know, you'll get extra miles this way, that way. They just want you to put the stuff on the cards and then start paying interest. Or American, you know, American Express doing payment over time, unbelievable for them, one of the most horrible things for all of all people with American Express, because they automatically put certain purchases on time. And if you check what that interest rate is, it's ridiculous. So keep the money as business owners, keep the money in your pocket. When somebody offers you a deal, you have to say, what's the value of that money? And if the value of that money is that, okay, you're going to make a 25% return by paying Up front for something, well, that's pretty good. That's really good because you're making 2% per month. If that's a product you need and you're going to use no matter what, and you have the cash flow to spend it on it, you just made 25% on your money all day long. Sign us all up for that, right? Right.
1: Interesting. So you have a number of businesses in the professional services segment. Let's talk about profitability versus cash flow and really product pricing when it comes to professional services. I certainly have seen and have struggled on a personal level sometimes with pricing products and even kind of fought with clients. It's hard sometimes because your product is the result of a lot of work for other clients, which oftentimes makes you know, the, the the lawyer's agreement that you could crank out in 15 minutes really isn't 0.25 of an hour. It's really, it's some combination of all the hours you put in with other clients and, and building the knowledge base and having resources at your fingertips. How in the world do you apply
0: these concepts for professional service firms? Yeah, so, what you just described is from the practitioner's mindset, right? The practitioner Mm -hmm. thinks, well, you know, they're getting the benefit of the network effect that I helped this client that only helped me be smarter to help that client that helped me be smarter to help that client that helped me be smarter to help that client. Why should client number five have to pay for all the other learning from the customer side of it? Why should client number five have to pay for all of that? Because the practitioner well, got paid every step of the way along the way, right? And,
1: well, and yes and no, they may have written off a lot of their time. And I would say, I would counter that and say, that's not how bis- manufacturing businesses price their products either. They go out of business because they have a lot of money and tied up in terms of the tooling and capex the, the and the intellectual property. Exactly. 100 percent. If you only priced your product based on, and this is what we were talking about a little bit before, if you only price your product on what it costs you directly in terms of components and cranking out that item that day, it would be a very different price than a lot of things are priced today because there's all these other things you have to factor
0: in. Well, it, it, and, and and I'm with you, and we're gonna get into a little lively discussion here that I love, and I'm with you. So I didn't say which side of the fence I'm on. I don't have a dog in the fight either way, right? What, what I'm saying is that practitioners are gonna look, so here's where the disconnect comes in a lot of the professional services. Cause look, the industry that Zendu is in is really, you know, we're a tech company, we're a FinTech company, but we're, we're a fintech company in really the professional service space, right? And yeah. so what's happening is technology has come knocking on the door of the professional service space. So Watson, which, you know, IBM has Watson, Watson, they say that 70% of all attorneys graduating right now won't have jobs in 10 years because technology is replacing them. So unless that they are very, very specialized, the stuff that is done over and over and over again that is not very specialized, but let's look at it from both sides. The customer wants to pay what they feel is a fair price, right? And then the practitioner wants to to be paid for that they feel that you know they have aged like a fine wine, and that instead of being an off the shelf wine in a box, that they want to, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they want to be paid like their silver oak, right, or Camus, some right. delicious, big bold cabs, uh, and. There's a happy median amongst it all. And so a couple of things need to happen. So you said, well, they maybe didn't get paid from all their clients. In today's world, in my opinion, in today's world, I don't believe there should be receivables. I believe in today's world, everybody has been conditioned to pay when the service is, is performed. So if you are professional service and you are sending out receivables, to be paid 30, 45, 60, 90 days after the work is done, that's not fair to you as a business. And lots of times we stand in our own ways. Just like when you say to somebody, oh, maybe you should raise your prices. I'm sure as you coach businesses, you may say to them, maybe you need to raise their prices because if all their ingredients and all their goods are going up, Of course, they need to raise their prices. And it's their mindset that gets in the way because their customers love them for them. And they're not going to walk out the door because they didn't get you know, they they can't find that most amazing lasagna or whatever that business is providing.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right in terms of receivables or in terms of getting even retainers from from clients. Because there certainly, your your wine analogy, I think, is extremely apt because fine wine is not something that you uncork and then drink 60 days later. It's, you know, it's what have you done for me today? The wonderful thing that you did 60 days ago or 45 days ago suddenly is not quite so wonderful. And the long hours that were put in to to rush to make it happen for a client's not quite as valuable or not as fondly remembered. So I think you're absolutely right. There is a recency effect, particularly when it comes to professional services, that is a direct correlation to when you need to be paid.
0: Oh, yeah, they should be paid. I'm a firm believer. and We tell all of our wonderful customers, you know, Get paid, put in. There's enough technology and everybody's used to technology. Have your tech stack for your business, your technology stack for your business of how you're doing business with customers. And look, we've seen it through the pandemic. A lot of businesses retooled into a digital format. And a lot of businesses will tell you that they're more profitable now. And so, You have to look at your business. Every year I would look at my business as to what we needed to do to be more productive, because it's also, I believe, the responsibility of us as business owners to make sure that we're keeping up with proper pricing for our customers based on what they can get on the open market. Right. And I think that when you can and and us as business owners are also entitled to make profit. Like we're taking great risks to be in business. They're entitled to make profit. So how do you find the balance, the right recipe to marry all that together? And I think that, you know, it starts with, you have to look at what is your profitability in your business? And then profitability is really just an exercise of what are you buying your product at, or what are you delivering your product? So if you're a professional service, your product is time. If you're a A business that sells a product, your product is whatever the product is, a bottle of water, a baseball cap, you know, dinner, whatever it is. So on that, it's up to us as business owners to always stay on top of what are our costs in our business, right? How do we help trim those costs in our business so we understand do we have the right pricing to be profitable and is that right pricing market ready or market accepted, right? Mm -hmm. And then from there then say, okay, now how do I ensure that I'm not going to have to write off uh, lost money from either bad product that we are giving our customers because it was damaged or missing deadlines, and now we have to give them discounts on, on professional services.
1: Right. And then
0: that you know leads into your cash flow, right? And, and if we can, just on, on the topic of businesses with products, the businesses that suffer, that may be profitable, but suffer in cash flow, they may have too much money in inventory, so they're buying too much inventory or doing a poor job of managing the inventory, every industry has a formula of what your turn of inventory should be. And it's important to understand that. Now with Google, there's no reason why you can't understand, you know, what your turn is. So if your inventory should be that, that you know, it's 20% of your sales, then that means that you're turning your inventory uh, if it's twenty percent of your sales, you're going to turn it in five weeks, right, or, or five months, yes. and depending on if it's monthly sales or weekly sales. And so figure out that. And then on the flip side of the of having too much inventory, it's if you have too much money on the street. If your money is sitting out on the street, it's not in your hands to make money on because most business owners don't realize that money itself is a product. Mm, elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. So most people think that money is a tool or a mechanism. Well, no, money is a product. If your business has, if you leave, say, $300,000 in the bank, in my, in my last business, it was manufacturing. So I didn't sleep at night unless the business had $350,000 in the bank at all times. And the reason being is that if we live in South Florida, so if there's a hurricane, I knew that I could cover payroll, for you know, a month and I knew that I had enough money to cover my bills, and before you know in Florida we have the insurance to kick in for hurricanes. So every business has that number depending on the size of their business. And whatever that number is, that's your hard deck. Don't go below it. So if your business needs ten thousand dollars to cover the bills, when there's ten thousand in the bank, you're broke, right? But if you have a hundred thousand in the bank and you only need ten thousand dollars to cover you that, that's your deck. Now what are you doing with that product of $90,000? Do you have it in interest-bearing accounts? Do you have it doing something that that itself will earn money for you? How can you make money on your money safely? And, you know, maybe maybe making money on your money is that you buy real estate. You buy a piece of real estate for your business to reside in. You know, there's lots of ways to make money on money, but it's you, most people don't look at money as a product until you sell your business. After you sell your business, and now you don't have any other distractions, and you're sitting there with hopefully a bucket of money, you go, oh boy, what should I do with this bucket? Well, that's when we all, every time we have a bucket, right, we want to turn it into something, you know, we want to create a business out of it, so. Yeah, no, that's right. That's
1: absolutely right. That's another great insight. So we're rapidly approaching the top of the hour. I told you the time would fly by, and it so it has how do companies, what should they do if they're not a client of yours or a firm like yours, when should they think about reaching out for help? And how do they know how to find somebody who's the right fit for them to help them?
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's break them and let's take them in little chunks. So first question, when should they reach out for help? So You know i can tell you that i see we typically will say to a a small business owner you know wait until your gross sales your top line sales before expenses are you know twenty twenty five thousand dollars a month because i never want to spend anybody else's money and then then you know we'll be able to help you save taxes because i look that when our customers do business with us i want whatever whichever plan they choose with us that they are making money on that. They're getting a return on that. So if they're in a plan that's $300 a month, it's $3,600 a year, I not only want to save them that minimum in their taxes, but we want to help them make money on that, right? And lots of times, you know, our head of tax is a brilliant guy, a forensic, and he did some due diligence due diligence on one of the NFL teams, and he'll send people, he'll save people 10 dollars dollars $20,000. It's amazing. And it's about making your money work for you in the business. And you need that visibility all year long. I see business owners that are serial entrepreneurs that they will start day one. And I'll say you know, to, the, to the team, hey, they don't have sales yet. And the team will tell me, no, no, no. They wanted to start because they've done other businesses and they hate doing bookkeeping. And they just want to start it from day one and make sure everything's in proper order. So if you have the money, start day one. If you don't have the money and you're bootstrapping the heck out of it, you want to have your books done as soon as you can afford to do it. And believe me, it's an investment that you're making in your business. It's an investment that you're making to have less stress for yourself, to not cause problems in in your in your uh, personal partnership to not have, you know, uh, your wife, your husband worrying about, you know, can you guys go out and buy a house, buy a car, do all the things that you want to do? Because, you know, as self-employed, we all get dinged when it comes to the banks. They want to see extra uh, uh, documentation on all of us. So, so get your books done as soon as as you can. The second piece of it was that if you don't mind, Doris, the second part of that, if you'd repeat that.
1: Well, and how do they find a service provider that's the right fit for them? What should they look for?
0: They should look for a company. They don't have to stay local. Those days are over. Um, in fact, a lot of people reach out to us and tell us they don't want to be local. They they want it to be online. So they should look for a company that has the same values that they do, right? Uh, I think... I think when we do business with anyone, it's about if, if you as a person, the listeners listening right now, value customer centric organizations, then you want to make sure whoever you choose is customer centric. And you can tell by looking at their website. You can tell by calling and talking to them. You know, is there a phone number on the website if they're a company and not not just for accounting, but in anything? How many companies nowadays don't even talk to you on the phone? They don't have a right. phone number on their website. Pop-up chat, though. Yep. Pop-up so chat is great, fun. right? But once in a while, and look, mm-hmm. most of our customers chat with us. and But, you know, through live chat, through pop-up chat, or email or text messaging. But it's really about finding a company that has the same values that you have and that you, you know, vet them and that they're knowledgeable and that you feel that the price that you're paying for the goods and services are in line with what you think it should cost. Great summation. We have time for one very last question, which
1: is an important one for you, which is if people are interested in learning more about any of the things we've talked about today, what's the best way for them to reach
0: you? Well, thank you, Doris. So the name of our company, as you said, is Zendu. It's spelled with an X. So X-E-N-D as in door, o com. So com, And they can Email sales at zendu.com. They could email me. I'm lil.roberts at zendu.com. Or they can call our number on the website or they could use the pop-up chat. We'd love to chat with them. So we're all about small business. Uh, we live and breathe small business. Fantastic. Lil,
1: it was a real treat having you on the show today. Thanks so much for your time and for being on the Savvy Entrepreneur.
0: Really appreciate it. Thank you, Doris. Absolute pleasure. Love spending the time with you. And a big hello to all the Chicago people. I love Chicago. Great place to be.
1: And and our listenership goes into Milwaukee, the Milwaukee area, too. And Milwaukee's a great city, too. Not to make them our little sister feel
0: left out. Not at Uh, all. I'm a big Green Bay fan. And a Bears
1: fan. All right. Just just stop right there. (laughs) I love them all. I'm just kidding. Lil, again, thanks so much. That is our show for this week, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks again, especially to our guest today, Lil Roberts, founder and CEO of a company called Zendu, who joined us this week to talk about two important concepts for any business, cash flow and profitability. Now, you can find more helpful information and resources on my website, globalocityservices.com. There's a library there of blogs, tools, podcasts, and other resources. Be sure to join me again next Saturday at 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern, when we'll have another great guest and topic. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneurship.